Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. Thank you for being here today. My name is Dan, if I haven't met you yet. And uh, if you're new here, I'd love to get to know you more after the service. So be hanging out either in here or over in the, the lobby next door. Well, last Sunday, we began to read about the dangerous sea voyage that the Apostle Paul encountered as he was transferred as a prisoner from Caesarea to Rome. And Paul had, you remember, several court trials during which he was wrongfully accused of crimes he didn't commit. And so he eventually demanded that his case be heard by uh, Kaiser or Caesar himself, who at that time was the Emperor Nero. And because he was a Roman citizen, Paul was granted this appeal. And this is why he's now being transferred to Rome. And we've seen that one of the themes that threads this whole narrative together, the sea voyage together, is the sovereign kindness of God. Even though Paul experiences many hardships on this voyage, in addition to what he's already experienced, there are many evidences of God's kindness along the way. And so we see that God's sovereignty, his authority, over us is not divorced from his kindness and grace, but is in fact intertwined with it. Because of the eternal redemption that Jesus, God the Son, has accomplished for us through his perfect life and death and resurrection, God's sovereignty and kindness are intertwined in this mysterious and beautiful way that God promises, uh, intends to and will bring everlasting maximum joy to God's people, and at the same time, everlasting maximum glory to the Lord. And even in the midst of the, the, the terrifying tempests in our lives that we may have to endure, the Lord's kind hand holds us in the storms, and he works out many expressions of his love and compassion and care for us. And so let me review the first four ways we talked about last week that we've seen God's sovereign kindness in this voyage so far. First, God assigned Paul to a Roman centurion named Julius, who was very kind to Paul throughout the trip. Second, God blessed Paul throughout the voyage with burden-bearing Christian friends. Third, God sent an angel to Paul in the middle of the tempest, with an encouraging promise. And fourth, God used Paul to declare great news of salvation to everyone aboard the ship. And so this morning we'll look at the next uh, ways, ways five to ten, that God's sovereign kindness is seen in this passage. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Acts 27, verse 27, if you haven't done so already. Before we read this, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. God, we thank you for this opportunity we have today to, to breathe, to be here, to open your word of life, to have your Holy Spirit nourish our souls and teach us according to your spirit. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us. We just ask that you would use this passage today to draw all of us to you, 
that we may repent again, that we may turn to you in faith today again and worship you. We ask that you would protect us from the evil one now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start by looking at Acts 27, 27 to 32. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So the sailors in charge of sailing Paul's ship here, they try to make a run for it. Okay? They, they pretend like they're working on something underneath the boat, when in, when in reality they're getting in the lifeboat to escape. And that would, as a result, leave everybody else in peril aboard the ship because there would be nobody to sail the ship. And so Paul quickly sees what's going on. He advises the centurion, Julius, about what he should do. And Julius listens to Paul. And they cut away the lifeboat so that the sailors can't escape. They're stuck on the ship with them. That's how they want it. So let's keep reading. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So the sea voyage had been so rattling, so stressful, that most of the 276 people on board hadn't eaten anything in 14 days, okay? So Paul steps up now. He rises up and he urges everybody to eat, to be strengthened, to have hope, because God promised to bring them all safely to land. Now remember, most of these people, by far the majority are not Christians. Maybe there's two or three of the 276, maybe a few more. But what we see now is that Paul leads by example. He takes the bread himself. He thanked God aloud for it. He broke it, and he began to eat it. So Paul is demonstrating through his actions that he trusts the promises of God. And his, his confidence in God and his confident leadership now gave everybody, it says, great courage. It encouraged them, everybody. And they, as a result, followed his example, and they ate some food too. And when they'd had their fill, it says they continued to lighten the ship by throwing more wheat into the sea. And they did so with hope now, okay? Hope for their future. They could confidently throw away their wheat because they trusted Paul. And they trusted 
what Paul said, that is God would deliver them. And so the fifth way that God displays his sovereign kindness during Paul's sea voyage was by encouraging everyone aboard with Paul's leadership. By encouraging everyone aboard with Paul's leadership. Remember that Jesus had appeared to Paul, he had promised to bring everyone safely to land, but they needed to do their part too and stay alive and eat the food available to them to keep them alive and strong. And so what God does is among these 276 travelers, he rises Paul up. Who is Paul on this, pl- on this ship? He's just a prisoner. It's not like he's high in the totem pole. And it's interesting to see because he goes from this prisoner that nobody really knows, and over time, Paul gains more and more credibility in the people's eyes. He demonstrates that his opinions are wise, that he's experienced. Paul demonstrates that his faith in God is authentic and that he, he can act out on, in faith boldly. Uh, Paul demonstrates that he is he's genuinely concerned about everybody's well-being on the board, on, the, uh, on board the ship, not just his own. And so when people see that, they, 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 they see that Paul has their back, that he wants good for them, and that is somebody that they want to follow. The Bible illustrates over and over again how, how God sovereignly places individuals among particular people at particular times and places to lead them by example. God used people like Joseph and Moses and Daniel and Esther to bring about good for many people around them, believers and non-believers alike. And likewise, throughout your life, God will place you in different places, different circumstances with different people. And one reason he will do that is to use you to lead others by your example. God wants you to serve others around you and to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus and to trust his promises. All of us in this room, we have different uh, relationships in our lives, right? With, with family and friends and neighbors and people at church, people at work, people at school, teams, whatever. You need to know, I, this passage is saying that God wants to use you too to be an example for them of what kindness and godliness and others' focusedness looks like. Not so that people will praise you and adore you, but so that people might come to adore and praise the Lord that you are reflecting, the Lord that you belong to. Paul had no official position among these 276 men. He wasn't even the same religion as these guys. However, everybody aboard grew to appreciate Paul and they wanted to follow him because over time he showed them he was trustworthy, his God was um, trustworthy, his faith in his God was genuine, and that he cared about the well-being of other people. Let's keep reading here, verses 39 to 44. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. 
So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the, uh, the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Okay, so the, the sixth way that God displayed his sovereign kindness during Paul's sea voyage was by bringing everyone aboard safely to land. Everyone aboard, 276. And, and like we said, this angel from Jesus had promised that everybody on, the bo on board would survive, even those who didn't know how to swim, but the ship would not survive. And so nobody knew how this was going to play out. But consider now all of the dangers that they had encountered so far that have appeared to threaten God's promise of deliverance. The, the tempestuous wind called the Northeaster had pummeled the waves against their wooden ship so that they had to undergird the ship with ropes, hoping that would hold it all together, right? Then, then the sailors were afraid of hitting this great sandbar called the Sirtis Sandbar, which would have trapped their ship and caused it to be destroyed by the crashing waves. And graciously, they, by God's grace, they didn't hit that. And then, it, as we've seen here, everybody aboard was so rattled by the storm, they hadn't eaten in two weeks, probably at risk of dehydration, starvation. And then the sailors, who were afraid of running into this rock reef in the middle of the night, and they couldn't see the stars because of the storm that they used, the, the stars they used to navigate the ship. So they, they uh, it says they had no choice but to drop their anchors and they prayed that they wouldn't die. And then these same sailors tried to escape on the lifeboat, which would have left everybody as good as dead. And then when they see a beach to sail into, they strike a reef and they ran the ship aground and the ship is being torn apart by the waves. And then the soldiers decide, okay, we need to kill all the prisoners so that they can't escape onto land, which would then nullify God's promise to deliver everybody safely to land. But instead of that happening, the centurion, wishing to save Paul, ordered the soldiers who could swim to swim to the land, and then after they made it to the beach and could keep an eye on everything, everybody who couldn't swim could float to shore on the scraps of their broken ship. And this is how God sovereignly saw to it that all 276 souls were brought safely to land, and the ship was lost just as God promised. We don't, we don't know why God willed that all 276 men should survive this storm, but he did. We know that. He did will that, and each and every one of them were now eyewitnesses to it. They were eyewitnesses to the power of Paul's God. They were eyewitnesses to the trustworthiness of the Lord's promises that he will do what he says he will do. As you think about your own life, what are the storms that God has carried you through? 
to get to today. In your life, how has he graciously spared you from danger, situations, and from death? I know I, I was just thinking about my own life. I'm like, I could name a few stories of, of times that I know God spared me. <laughs> and many more that I don't know that God knows he spared me. Um, there are many stories in this room of God's deliverance and of his kind sovereignty, if we were all to share those. And the fact that we're here today, that we are still alive, is not a coincidence or the result of good luck. I remember so many times, I mean, my kids are all in elementary school now, but I remember, I remember thinking, it is miraculous that kids make it to age five. <laughs> like, seriously, all... And it is miraculous, you know, and I'm part of that, okay? It's a miraculous that I didn't do something to my kids by the, the, the age of, of, of five. It's just amazing when you think about all the things that kids do. and It's miraculous that you and I have lived as long as we have lived on this, sorry, on this spinning globe going around the universe. It's a miracle. And... It's not a result of good luck. We're here because the Lord has willed for us to live to see today. Do you hear that? It's the Lord's will. He who wrote down all the days of our lives before any one of them came to be. That's what Psalm 139 says. And so, may we thank him <laughs> for all the ways that he has saved us from our own foolishness from our own sin. May we not take today, today, this day for granted, but may we think about, okay, God's got me here. I'm here for a purpose. What does he want? What does he want for me today? It's amazing, you know, I just think of God's sovereign will. It's a mystery, but I remember one day a while back where I visited two people on opposite ends of the spectrum of life. One was a small baby, newborn baby, who was born without a brain stem and was, was going to die and did die early on. And then I remember that same day visiting a woman in her 90s in the old folks' home and so full of life, without family. All her peers had passed away before her. I mean, I was just sitting in awe of her, like, telling me stories about how she was a riveter in World War II and worked on ships. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And for her, you know, th just thinking, why, you know, why has, why, why has God allowed me to live this long? Why am I here? I remember Orville Simpson used to say, I don't know why God's allowed me to live this long, but I know he's got a reason because I'm still around. You know, God is sovereign, and he works in our lives, he's appointed the days of our lives, he's put us in places with people for his purposes. So the question is, is, is not do our lives have purpose, but how are we going to use today to show others the kindness of Jesus Christ? <laughs> not take today for granted, because we're not promised tonight or tomorrow. Okay, let's read Acts 28, 1-2. Let's keep moving. Last chapter here. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain. It was cold. So the seventh way God displayed his sovereign kindness during the sea voyage was 
by blessing these travelers with the unusual kindness of the native people on Malta. So, so think about this. I mean, how did Paul's ship manage to run aground and also to be destroyed next to the island in the Mediterranean Sea where its native people happened to show them unusual kindness? Okay? It, it doesn't look coincidental. It looks like it's another encouraging reminder to Paul and his friends that God is in control and that he's, he's being gracious to them. He's showing them grace. Luke writes that these natives were, I like this word, they were unusually kind to them. It was raining, it was cold, it says. And so one of the first things they do for these uh, people aboard the ship is, uh, who were aboard the ship is they kindle a fire for them and then they welcome them all to their island. And this hospi- hospitality was unexpected. It was, it was unusually kind. What a great place God had ordained for these travelers to rest and to have their health restored. And, I, you know, I'm wondering, what, you know, it's interesting to think what was going through their head at this point, point because uh, they didn't have a ship. But we know that it was, it was now wintertime, and it was not a good time to be out on the water. So they probably planned to be there for a while. When you think about uh, your own life, have you, ever, have you ever been shown unexpected, unusual kindness by a stranger? Or have you ever shown unexpected, maybe an unexpected guest, generous hospitality? See, these are some of the ways that God shows his kindness to us through the kindness of strangers. And it's also how we show his kindness to other people through kindness and hospitality to others. And think about these natives on Malta. They were not Christians. These were not believers. And so I'm thinking, man, may God use us as Christians who actually are following him to at least be as hospitable and warm as those who don't love Jesus. Next, we'll see that the the eighth way that God displayed his sovereign kindness during the sea voyage was by supernaturally healing Paul and... Publius's father and many others on Malta. Okay. Let's look at Acts 28, 3 to 6. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You know, in many parts of the world, venomous snakes are a serious danger, especially in underdeveloped areas. Where, where children gather wood for fires, uh, where adults farm and hunt in areas populated by venomous snakes, places where uh, they're often, they don't have emergency services available to them if they get bitten, or they don't have the money to pay for treatment 
Many cultures like the, the tribe in today's passage even see snakes as spiritual enemies, and they see snake bites as divine curses. When Paul was bit by this venomous snake on Malta, see, the, the, it says the natives not only waited for him to die, but they believed he was a murderer who'd been punished. Um, and so, so when, 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 when Paul didn't swell up, when he didn't die, the natives' opinion of Paul flipped, and Paul was, was now, he was all the more honored by them. And they see that, wow, you have supernatural power over snake bites, and they believe, Paul, that, that he was a god, because only a god could do that. He, he's a god who had come to visit them in human flesh. And, and this sort of reaction wasn't new for Paul. The citizens of Lystra, as we read earlier on in this series, reacted the same way when the apostle Paul healed a crippled man in Acts 14. Um, when people thought, you know, uh, Acts, or sorry, Paul and Barnabas were, were gods. Uh, and, and just as he corrected those in Lystra, though, uh, we can be confident here that Paul corrected these natives of Malta and pointed them to the true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that, but knowing Paul <laughs> and knowing how he responded to these situations, um, we can be confident that he did that. Now, Luke is pointing out, now remember, Luke is a physician who, who wrote this. And so he, you'll see in his gospel and in Acts, he's intrigued with physical conditions of people, and speci especially miraculous healings. And so let's read what Paul did next then on Malta, according to verses 7 to 10. Now in the neighborhood of that place where lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Uh, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So the unusual kindness and, and hospitality of these Maltese people, it's an ongoing theme in, in these verses. The chief of these people named Publius, he, it says he entertained. I mean, there must have been 200, it's 276 people. He entertained them for three days. Uh, and meanwhile, while that's going on, Paul visits Publius' father, who is sick with a fever, and with dysentery, which is a potentially deadly illness on a remote island, especially for an elderly person. And when Paul saw this man, the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to put his hands on this man and to pray for him. It says the man was healed. And word of this healing spread real quickly on this little island. And very soon the rest of the Maltese people who had sicknesses and diseases came to Paul and God graciously cured them, healed them too, through Paul. And then God healed Paul from that snake bite and then used Paul to miraculously heal many of the Maltese people clearly shows that God has sovereign power to heal, right? Um, and sometimes God does heal. And keep in mind here that in Paul's situation, God was keeping a specific promise to safely deliver Paul to Rome, 
which is one reason why the snake bite didn't kill him. God never promised to protect Paul from all future snake bites, just that Paul would be delivered to Rome safely. And also, God surely was using these signs as a witness to the people on Malta. Okay? He was using these signs of the truth and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they may be saved. And so these signs gave Paul an opportunity to tell the Maltese people about Jesus Christ, who, has, who is the resurrection and the life, who has the power to eternally save their souls. And this was God's plan for how this particular people group would hear the gospel. And so, that being said, we should be careful when we read this passage not to misuse it. We, we should not understand it to mean that God always heals those who have enough faith in him. In fact, this passage doesn't seem to indicate that. It, it indicates the opposite. Here, God graciously heals many native people who don't have faith in Jesus. So does God have power to heal whomever he wants, whenever he wants? Yes. Does God sometimes heal people in response to our prayers? Yes. Does God sometimes heal people who do not even love him? Yes. According to his wisdom, does God sometimes not heal people in this life even when we faithfully pray for their healing? Yes. When Cindy and I prayerfully agreed that God wanted us to take our family on a mission trip to Swaziland a few summers ago, I had to come to the point where I really trusted that God is sovereign over nature, including all animals, because they didn't tell me on my first trip, but I found out before my second trip that Swaziland is home to many of the deadliest snakes in the world. Top 10. All of them are there. And the area where Michalisi and Erica minister is hours from the nearest hospital. Also, as I was pondering this, I didn't want to test the Lord. I didn't want to act foolishly in his eyes by taking my family to this place and potentially putting them in danger. I wondered how I could ever live with myself if my wife or one of my kids was bitten by a snake and suffered and died because I put them in that dangerous situation. But I concluded... And that because God is sovereign, do you really believe he has all control? And because he is my Lord and my authority, then the foolish thing for us to do would actually be not to go to Africa if God is telling us to go. So I devoted quite a bit of time in prayer. <laughs> okay, God's telling me to go, so now I've got to really study this Sovereignty of God. What do I believe about that? But specifically, God's sovereignty over nature and animals. I came across a little old book by an author named A.W. Pink called The Sovereignty of God. And I believe the second chapter is about the sovereignty of God over nature. And that helped me. It helped me. But specifically, what helped me most was focusing in on some key passages of Scripture. One of the Bible verses that gave me the greatest comfort and the greatest confidence to go on that trip uh, was Matthew 10, 29 to 31, where Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So trusting then both in God's sovereign power over nature and in his sovereign will for my life, I submitted to three potential outcomes. First, I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to protect us from natural dangers. I'm trusting God to protect us, and he will protect us. Option one. Second, if one of us is bitten by a venomous snake, then we believe that God can protect us and or heal us just like he did for Paul in today's passage. Do you believe that? Right? I believe that. Third, if one of us is injured by a deadly animal and we suffer and die as a result, then we believe it is God's sovereign plan. According to Psalm 139, God wrote down all the days he had ordained for us before any of them came to be. It would not be a mistake or a surprise to God. So having come to that conclusion, the next step was then the hard part, to step out and go for a guy who doesn't like airplanes, okay? And graciously, what happened is that God did not allow us to be hurt by any snakes or any other deadly animals. Despite my own foolishness and standing way too close to a rhinoceros, okay? <laughs> I always mock all these people who go to Yellowstone. You can't stand next to a buffalo. It's dangerous. And then I am in Africa standing way too close to a rhinoceros. God, <laughs> so <laughs> that's another story. But I was close. I was trusting in this electric fence in front of me. And the rhino's about here, looking head on about that guitar. And, and somebody comes out, and he's like, you got to get away. you got to get away from there. And so I'm like, Jackson, don't move, because I'd watched Jurassic Park a lot. And I said, <clears throat> I said, if you don't move, they can't see you, okay? <laughs> and Jackson's like, forget this. He takes off. And I go back to Michaelis, who's like 100 yards back, and I'm like, did you see that? And he's like, yeah, I thought you were going to die. <laughs> like, dude, you didn't say anything. You thought I was going to die? I thought I was safe. And so, thankfully, despite my own foolishness, God had his hand and plan for me, apparently, to live more days on this earth. Um, I don't say that at all. I just hope that it comes across, not in any way to, to, look, to show me as a, you know, in a superior example of faith or something. I just, what I mean is I think there are instances in all of our lives where the rubber hits, hits the road and we're forced to decide, do I be really believe this or not? Because you get in a position where you don't have a choice. Either you're all in or you're not. <laughs> um, and we know this. All of us in here are going to die someday unless the Lord returns first. And that means that many of us in here are going to suffer ailments and illnesses and disease and health conditions that lead toward death. Okay. And very likely, God will graciously heal some of us from our temporary illnesses so that we might have a few more years on earth. But really, what is a few more years on earth if we're going to live for endless years after earth? What we really want, what we really need is to be rescued from everlasting sickness and death. And that's what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. That's what Jesus guarantees his people through his resurrection. That is the living hope. He is alive. He is our hope 
it is our living hope for our loved ones who have gone before us to Christ. We believe that Christ has borne our eternal infirmities in his body and that he put them to death on the cross for us. We trust in Jesus uh, that, that it is through faith in Christ, by his grace, that we escape eternal sickness and brokenness. Trusting in Jesus is how God frees us from our bondage to sin and to all the destruction that it brings. Jesus Christ is greater than any serpent that may harm us. Jesus is the greatest serpent of all. He is the true and better serpent from Moses' rod that devours every serpent who opposes God. And this is what he said in John 3, 14 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So according to this passage, God displayed his sovereign kindness by supernaturally healing Paul and Publius' father and many others. And then it says that God continued to show more kindness to Paul's crew over the course of three months that they would spend on Malta. And when these men finally left Malta, the natives further honored them by putting aboard their ship whatever they needed. Now let's read what happened in verses 11 to 15. After three months... We set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so... And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So these verses again illustrate uh, the the, the previous point earlier, the the blessing of burden-bearing Christian friends. Most likely the the centurion Julius was conducting business in this town, Pudioli, for a week. And during that time, he allowed Paul to fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters who were there. And then after those seven days, as Paul was walking north with Julius to Rome, Christians from Rome were so excited that Paul was finally there that they began to meet him on the road. F.F. Bruce writes that some of the Christians traveled 43 miles south of Rome to visit Paul at the Forum of Appius. And other Christians traveled 33 miles south of Rome to see Paul at the three taverns. And, it, and uh, it had been about three years since Paul had written his epistle to the Roman church, which he'd never visited. And now he finally get to see this church, these people that he'd been so eager to see. And their eagerness to see him was very encouraging, it says. This is what gave him the ability to take courage. Verse 15 says that on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And here we see that the ninth way God displayed his sovereign kindness during the sea voyage was by bringing Paul safely to Rome. Through all the storms, all the seasickness, all the snake bites, God's hand had carried Paul and now delivered him to Rome just like God had promised. And 
And while we want to be careful not to over-allegorize a passage like this, um, it is hard not to be reminded here that we are eternally secure in Christ. That Christ is the one who will bring us safely to our final destination. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It means God is in control. God is kind. God wants redemption and restoration for you. And God is fulfilling his purposes and his plans through our lives. So may Paul's safe arrival in Rome further remind us that all of God's promises are true and God will bring all of them to completion. That's great news. Finally, let's read Acts 28.16, which says, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So the tenth way that God displayed his sovereign kindness in this passage was by providing Paul comfortable living conditions in Rome. Um, And when we say comfortable living conditions, obviously that's a relative term. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but we do know that Paul was allowed to stay by himself. He was chained to this Roman soldier who guarded him. And so God had blessed Paul with this extra little bit of room and freedom and it was a kind reminder from God to Paul that he was, he was with him and he was for him. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that you didn't want to be in and God gave you an unexpected reminder that he was there with you. Maybe you received an encouraging phone call or a card right when you needed it. Or maybe some unexpected money came in to help you pay the bills. Or maybe God showed up in a special way to you in nature. Um, As gut-wrenching as life can be sometimes, we must keep reminding ourselves of God's promises. We must keep helping one another trust the Lord. Here's what he tells his people in Isaiah 41, 9 to 10. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and not cast you off. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I first looked at today's passage, this long narrative about the sea voyage, and trying to figure out how am I going to preach this, I just, what I read was a lot of names of locations I didn't know, and that there was this terrible storm that shipwrecked Paul on his way to Rome. But I'm thankful God helped me see what was actually there, this thread of God's sovereignty and God's kindness holding all these things in this storm together. Whatever you're going through, whatever circumstances you are in today, I pray that the Lord would help you to see evidences of his kindness in the middle of the storm. I I hope that you would see how God wants good for you. Uh, I hope that you would see how God has purchased good for you through his death and resurrection. And I hope that God's Holy Spirit in you, if you're a believer, will show you how to be a vessel of God's kindness to other people around you. 
And now I want to conclude this sermon by, by playing a song for you that's meant a lot to me and my family this past year. Musician is Bob Bennett, and the song is called Hand of Kindness. I've no need to be reminded of all my failures and my sins for I can write my own indictment of who I am and who I've been I know that grace by definition is something I never but for all the things that I may have missed there's a lesson I believe that I have learned there's a hand of kindness holding me holding me there's a hand comes in just a moment but sometimes the consequences last and it's hard to walk inside that mercy when the present is so tied up to the past in this crucible of cause and effect I walk the wide I'll never fall too far, but that day has not happened yet. Cause there's a hand of kindness holding me, holding me. There's a
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your hand of kindness that holds us. We thank you that even in the midst of the storms, we know that you're in control and that you give us evidences of kindness in the midst of the storm and that the storms will not last forever because of your life and death and resurrection for us, Jesus. I pray that we would keep turning to you and trusting you and point one another to you and helping one another persevere. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that the storm would show them their need for your light, your eternal light. God, please use us today and this week to show your kindness to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys for being here. If you're new here, we'll be in the lobby. We'd love to meet you, thanks.